Talk, the home of raw and relevant conversations. And we are loving all of the interviews that we have lined up. And our next guest is none other than a very special silver medalist from the Winter Games. She has made history in the sport of skeleton. Silver medalist Jack Narricott, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Um, I can't wait to talk about how the bloody hell you got into this sport. I know that there is a family behind it, but we'll get into all the details soon. First things first, <clears throat> we like to start off with our fast five. And these are your questions, if I get to right. them fast enough. All right. Specialty meal to cook. Chili. Oh, like chili con carne. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Good. Favourite meal to cook. Okay. Keeping it basic. I like it. Uh, what about your first kiss? Do you remember your first kiss? It was, oh, I want to say maybe in grade four or five. Whoa. At school somewhere. Those Queenslanders. Naughty. <laughs> <laughs> what about your worst habit? Oh, there's probably plenty that Dom will tell me. Um. <laughs> half-assing like jobs around the house okay oh you're one of them ten, start 10 jobs finish one if that um, depending on what it is yeah okay <laughs> favorite band acdc oh is that like we will we will rock you no that's that that's queen um acdc okay, yeah. is kind of back and black and all this stuff <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. Okay, we'll leave that to you. Can I get a rendition from you? Can you give me a song? Definitely not. <laughs> Do you have a pet peeve? Being late. Ah, yeah. Well, you're always on time and you, you crack historic times. We we shall know this too. Hey, uh, one word that best describes you. Resilient, I think. Yeah, there's, oh, there, there's quite a few. Um well, from a sliding point of view, there were plenty of times where I really should have stopped for either <laughs> financial or health reasons or just like there were so many barriers. Mm. Just like and no. I had a had a dream and it was it was gonna happen no matter how much it took. <laughs> I mean the, it got dangerous there for a period. But yeah. whatever that. and whenever. Wow. And yeah. Look, it, it certainly has paid off. It's incredible what you've achieved. And let's get into that. Um, and before we do, we do just like to thank Workplace Law, who are our proud partners of Real Talk Podcast. Shane and Athena lead the team there at workplacelaw.com.au. And they um, they offer so many different services for female athletes, but particularly just anyone um, who needs some guidance. And if you need any or want any direction for maybe some contractual agreements or uh, if you need some tribunal representation, they're genuine people who genuinely want to help you uh, and I think that it's very fitting that they're here at Real Talk so they're just passionate about helping players gaining skills um, and confidence off and away from your allocated sport and if you're not an athlete they're also willing to help you and would love to help you as well. Workplacelaw.com.au but now it is time for your story Jackie Narricott. Take us back to a, a young girl in Brisbane, Queensland where you don't see snow but you managed to get to the Winter Olympics. <laughs> yep. Um, I was a sprinter as a kid, like watching watching Sydney. That was the the kind of kick to go, nah, that's, I'm going to be an Olympian. 
don't care what sport I just want to be an Olympian wanted to be a summer Olympian initially being a Queenslander that's quite normal <laughs> um <laughs> and also my uncle Paul had gone to both the summer and the winter Olympics as a sprinter and then as a bobsledder so that was kind of the, the family background wanted to emulate him um and as I got older I quickly well eventually figured out that I, I wasn't fast enough to be to be a sprinter so I started looking at every other avenue to possibly still get there I tried soccer I was a goalkeeper at one point and then happened to be in the right place at the right time to try bobsled um spent two and a half months traveling around Europe bobsledding after uni and before I'd even set foot on ice in the first place our skeleton coaches saw me and said you're too small to be a bobsledder do you want to try skeleton and I was like well let's just pop the brakes on that I want to try try bobsled that's why I'm here let's see if I like that first and then we'll go from there um curiosity got the better of me came home kind of warned by my dad that I wanted to try it and in March of 2012 they're like all right well if you've got the funds go for it not quite realizing what I was about to try and do <laughs> and <laughs> went went to the US tried skeleton from halfway down the track where they basically like they throw you down and say lie there don't move you'll be fine and oh within gosh. two runs, I was hooked. And sorry, sorry. And now we fast forward and you're back in Europe, but you accomplished what hasn't been done before by any Australian. And that was to win the first medal in a sliding event and also to win silver um, at the Tokyo, well, sorry, not Tokyo, Beijing um, 2022 Olympic Games. Can you take us back to that moment, please? Oh, so I'll start with St. Moritz first. Um, and I've, I'd watched our girls like previous before me, we had an AIS program and the girls were really good. They think our best result was a silver on world cup. So I'd, I'd seen them compete and knew that it was possible. And then, but I really wanted to be the first, the first one to win a world cup race and it was getting further and further away. So to, to actually cross the finish line and but I to be leading a world cup race. None of us apparently had ever done that. So to be the first to lead a world cup race was huge, but also felt really normal. Okay. Uh, it was, it was, was kind of weird, but very cool. And then to cross the line for us was just unreal. Um, one of my, one of my best mates was sitting in second and the video of her jumping and screaming and cheering me on the, down the track is my favorite video from that entire week. <laughs> She's just, she's she's awesome um and then yeah to get to Beijing and essentially do it again I just I can't believe I did it it's <laughs> and I was, Beijing is just so surreal in general like the the whole way it happened with with COVID and how fast we were out and everything I was talking to one of the British girls yesterday about it and she was like it seems surreal like, oh good it's not just me who thinks this whole thing was a dream <laughs> It's real life. Pinch yourself. <laughs> so the, the World Cup circuit, because oh, I just feel like our audience will just be so encapsulated with this whole story and try and go, but how? Because I always keep thinking, like especially in the lead up, how do you even get involved? And you clearly have so much drive as an athlete that you were looking for any avenue, like you mentioned. And once you get that little taste for it, you were willing to save up all your savings and spend it on competing in a sport where there was maybe very minimal, if any, support for you financially? 
yeah, I was, I've been, been lucky and unlucky in the sense that my first two seasons, uh, we were still an AIS program. So I had a little bit of support to kind of get me going, but it was either they paid for flights or they paid for accommodation and training. Um, in 2014, after Sochi didn't go to plan, we lost everything, which meant that I lost my courage. I lost my teammates. I lost all my funding, which is so much wow. fun. <laughs> went to throw myself in the deep end and went on to World Cup, have, being a second or well, going into my third year of sliding without any support, which is crazy. But in my head, that was the, the only way, the only way to do it. Um, it's just, it's fun. And I don't know, I, it was, I eventually felt like I kind of found my sport and it's just, it's, yeah, <laughs> the, the things you do. Sorry. So many of us would have just stopped at even going, ah, uh, we can't, we tried bobsled, like, cool. But the fact that you then persisted um, to, to continue this winter sport that is so rare for Australia, let alone the world, you know, like it, it still is a huge event, but in comparison to other sports, it really is not. Um, yeah. Can you talk to me about that funding? So you, you had it, but then after Sochi, because it didn't go to plan, the AIS, Australian Institute of Sport for our audience, uh, stopped it. So how much money? did you have to spend if you don't mind me asking <laughs> um without a coach and without new equipment i think i was spending about 30 grand a year wow so bank of mum and dad and credit cards i owe <laughs> this this medal is as much their medal for multiple reasons but the, the financial reason being being one of them um because without them I don't get to Pyeongchang and then even even like since since Pyeongchang where I got um OWI funding so Olympic Winter Institute funding um and I've, I've had I've had a bit of curious support the whole way through as well which is, has been good um but yeah like without without them none of this happens wow and so having two supportive parents let you follow your dream and then finishing at Beijing and knowing that you have this silver medal in your hands, can you explain that? Um, I should be good at this by now, but no, like it's <laughs> it's it's twenty years of hard work and dreams, and yeah, twenty years of watching everybody else on TV. Like I, I'm an Olympics tragic, so I watch every sport every olympics but before that um and to see other people doing it like yeah okay that, that makes sense but to then be in that situation and be going out for the medal presentations and seeing a medal that has hey they're heavy but like yeah. <laughs> to have the heavy medal with the olympic rings on it it was just like this is mine and no one's taking it off me now which is which is nice you will ever forever be an Olympian and that is something that yes no one can ever ever take away from you you're also an Olympian with a silver medal which is even cooler and then you're also making history because no other Aussie has ever done that before which is even bloody cooler like I don't even have words and I'm a journalist I just feel like I get soaked up in your emotions are you going to continue while ever my, my head feels good and I love it, then, then yeah, like St. Moritz has a ball champs this year. Um, it'd be, be nice to go back and 
and St. Rose is just fun to slide. World champs or not, it's the best track in the world to slide. <laughs> but okay. to be to, to go and go, you know what? We have 10 runs. Perfect. <laughs> we get to do this like four day, like yeah, four days running. Let's go. Wow. Okay then. Well then in terms of the sliding events, can you um can you explain for us what training goes into sliding perfectly? down this course that what were they calling it in beijing like um snow dragon or something yes yeah it is it is snow dragon or ice dragon it might have been ice dragon one of the two yeah a dragon anyway (laughs) (laughs) which means it is ruthless um but yeah how do you train for that um a lot of it so the the off season is all sprinting and lifting in the gym trying to get as fast and powerful as we can for the start some people have push tracks. So there's a few scattered around Europe and there's one in one in Bath. Um, I have a push sled on wheels to, to do that. And then once we get on ice, it's just trying to get runs um, on as many tracks as you can and learning how to be super subtle and precise. There's a lot of video that goes into it behind the scenes um, and mental mental work, like uh, visualization, which I'm terrible at, but <laughs> for trying to, to know that to know the tracks inside out so that when you get to race day you can you know that you can push hard you lie down and then you can your body goes into autopilot you you know what's coming you understand what each corner is and what you're trying to get out of each corner and you can just let it flow and it's almost a dance with the track because you're trying to work with it for, for the most part like that, that's that's how you go fast and and what's the top pace like what's your top speed on a track mine's only i say only um 138.9 k an hour head first I, people I say, yeah i say only because i've got friends who have done 143 but sorry i, I mean <laughs> once you get beyond 120 i'm not sure that there, it matters if it's 130 plus you know like every little that's on the track <laughs> that's insane i mean you must love the thrill and the adrenaline that it gives you but there has been trying times um and a scare so oh yeah can yeah i'm sure there's been more than one scare but when was there a time where you thought okay maybe i have to contemplate giving this up because of concussion or health reasons this last concussion so after 2018 uh, i got back on ice the following season and got concussion within my first couple of runs um the track in Calgary has a bump in Chrysler, which is a 360 degree corner. And I smacked it first run, had a bit of a headache, smacked it again, even harder, run two. And it was at that point, I was like, okay, like I don't usually want to get off my sled. I came out of Chrysler and I wanted to get off my sled. Um, went kind of, so at that point I had, I kind of had a coach from an IBSF, so our International Federation, it was a development camp. So there was a coach around, but no physio, no doctor. Um, I was having to figure out, am I concussed? What's going on? Um, am I okay? <laughs> and it wasn't until I got home and couldn't look at my phone for more than like 30 seconds, wanted to sleep all the time. Got back from like, 10 days off the ice from that. Just kind of, I stupidly kept trying to do things. I kept going, going to training and going, okay, well, I'll track walk, get a headache. Okay, that's me done tried to warm up for pushing I bent over and felt dizzy okay that's oh me gosh. done for the day um <laughs> got back um 
slid was was sliding really well got to eagles in austria in january 2019 and that track's bumpy but and i it, and i don't usually get along so me being in tears after training isn't necessarily unusual for that track but according to friends i was really unresponsive at the bottom of the run um and like the runs weren't that bad so i shouldn't have been in tears there were a few like the the subtle emotional signs that were starting to creep back in again and then we got to st moritz which is hand cut it's the smoothest ice in the world because it's it's made from snow um and i got off the sled and i felt dizzy and i was really unresponsive to, to questions i just like dazed and out of it and the canadians who i was being coached by at the time basically said we're not comfortable sending down the track no way <laughs> this is like this is this is how we how we end your career if we send you down again um got home back to the uk went and saw uh neurologists because at this point owi were involved in the mm, <laughs> we need to like get you seen properly they diagnosed post-concussion syndrome wow. and then the longer i was in the uk and the adrenaline w- was wearing off from tour i couldn't walk around town without feeling feeling like i was drunk for like 20 minutes i'd feel drunk <laughs> wow. so six months of rehab with the vestibular physio back in back in oz um, we figured out that my eyes weren't focusing right. They were converging too soon. There was a whole bunch of little things. So thankfully, the MRI showed that my brain was was okay. There was no evidence of any brain injury. Thankfully, because that that would have been that would have for sure been the end of it. Yeah, yeah. I got back on the sled in October of 2019, having had the conversation with my sports psych that, well, what happens if I'm dizzy? If this first run from halfway down the track goes badly? what does that mean um and i really wanted it to, to be black and white to be like okay well it's either going to be i'm going to be dizzy or i'm not i don't want there to be this gray area because i didn't i wasn't going with the physio i was going on my own mm. and having this physio support back home or you're wherever Kaney happened to be um so yeah that was a was confronting having to have the conversation with rich about what happens if this doesn't go to plan because that was not a conversation I wanted to have, <laughs> but I'm glad we had it because then it meant that I could, I could go to Whistler knowing that we had a, we had a plan in place for good or for bad. And thankfully <laughs> I survived in the first run. I was far more nervous for my first run back after that concussion than I had yeah. been for any other run in my entire life. I mean, understandably so, but so yeah. how long did it take for you to, was it close to a year before you realized how much trauma your brain had suffered? Oh, not your brain, your, your concussion, sorry. Um, so I'm looking back, I'm, I was fairly certain I was concussed for the entire 2018-19 season that, that I slid. Yeah. Or at least had like had varying, varying forms of it. Um, wow. I was definitely concussed. For, for, like the, the last race I did that season, I finished 10th. And I was definitely concussed for that. <laughs> looking look like look, looking back on it I was dizzy and yeah somehow went again um <laughs> but yeah it's a there's a fine the, line the things you do, when you like when you, when you don't want to admit to it but mm. since then I am so much more careful now and I'm so it drives me nuts on tour hearing people say they've got a headache or the track's bumpy um but they keep going again and again and again it's like, guys, just pump the brakes. <laughs> yeah. 
our heads are important, but I think it takes going through concussion to understand, okay, this doesn't feel good. This isn't normal and kind of understanding the potential long-term ramifications of it. But in our sport, there's so many stories about people who from, we call it sled head with the, the, the micro vibrations that you get from every track, but the tracks that are bumpy, it's, it's even worse. Um, it's even got a nickname. They have, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's not but thankfully, good. no, when I first came to the sport, the, the idea of you saying you had a headache and not going in because you had a headache was really frowned upon being like, oh, just hard enough, you'd be fine. It's just a headache. Mm-hmm. But now as it's moved on, thankfully that's becoming a lot more acceptable that, well, at least in certain countries. So with us, the Canadians, the Brits, the Americans to a certain extent, if you say, I'm not going again, my head doesn't feel okay. The answer is, okay, that's fine. Okay, It's not, you're soft, go again, thankfully. Um, a, lot of, a lot of countries you yeah. left out though, which is concerning. There's a long way to go. Yeah, it is. But part of that too is also because I've got more friends in those countries and I, I've seen okay. a bit more of the, the inner workings of the, like my husband being British. I understand a bit more of what goes on to, to a, a very small extent, what goes on within that program and then being part of the Canadian program, then you, you, you kind of um, get to understand like their, their concussion protocols and you understand a bit more about that. Like the Germans could very well have it, but we don't necessarily know about it. Um, yeah. But they're, okay. they're also the ones throwing themselves down the track. 15 times a week (laughs) guys oh wow it is it's i i reckon i'm going to listen back to this podcast and all i've said is wow oh my god but i'm sure our audience will also be thinking the same thing after you got that silver medal uh what's it been like um that first week was crazy it was really hectic. it was great I, I loved every second of it so <laughs> we were out of the village within 48 hours of competing so there was we got, I think they've like had like a post-race party where, where everyone was just like it was the first chance we had all season to actually chill and hang out together without worrying about COVID it was great um media on a plane yeah 48 hours later back to Oz I got to see my friends and family for the first time in two and a half years, which was Amazing. so nice. Met my nephew and my best mate's baby. And there's so much that's been happening in Oz that we haven't seen. Um, got to do some like cool TV and lots of interviews, but it's been, I, I think it's helped lessen some of the post-Olympic depression that tends to kick in after that because that was so busy and hectic and um, enjoyable that I think it's kind of negated a few of those feelings, which has been been good. Yeah, and I and I would love for you just to make sure you know that you're like the superstar. Everybody, everybody's frothing how great you did. And and it was in a time that we really needed something to cheer for too. Like I think that's almost been a bit of a bonus. Sure you didn't get that lead up hype that would normally happen in a normal year, but we don't know what normal is these days. <laughs> Um, and I think that it was, it was everywhere. Everybody wanted a piece of the Olympic games, which was great despite it being in Beijing, which is an, another situation on its own. But did you enjoy your time there? Yeah, we did. Um, cool. it was very, 
uh, bubble like because because it, it had to be and China was was super strict on yeah where we couldn't couldn't go thankfully our was the entire villages and all the competition so if we wanted to we could go between villages we could go watch um, if we had time we chose so Dom and I chose to be very insular to avoid <laughs> any chance of getting COVID we didn't go yeah. to the dining hall didn't go to the rec hall pretty much whatever we could do to avoid people we we did and the AOC were fantastic in facilitating that they had we had we had a common room in our village which was just stocked full of food they sent a massive container over from Oz to to kit us out so we didn't have to go to the dining hall if we didn't want to or that's yeah, it great was, it was good yeah yeah the, it was a the environment in the village was was very safe and calm and chilled I think because everyone was still in that okay we don't really want to go out we don't really want to see people we're going to go training we're going to come back and that is it and stay COVID free because we saw so many headlines over at the Winter Olympics and it was, if you caught it, catch you later, get out um, and be an ISO. So what, what's next for, for Jackie Narcott? Get a job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've just finished my, my diploma. Do that. In well, you know, I kind of have to. <laughs> I'd like to actually be a, like, uh, yeah, functioning member of this household and, and contribute to, to rents and bills and, just be, begin to to find who I am outside of being an athlete, um, mm-hmm. so that whilst I'm not I'm not retiring just yet, like the that that time is starting to to come closer. That that's just facts of age and life and, and all the rest of it. So I I would like to be prepared for for when that time comes, whenever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also just yeah, start to to figure out who I am outside of being an athlete and just. Also, they try and um, settle into life over here a bit more. Like it's the last few years has been very <laughs> lonely and isolating. Being going to training and then coming back home, and it'd be nice to get a, get out a little bit out a little bit more. For sure. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. But what did you finish studying? Uh, I've done my diploma of interior design. So, and is that where you want to you want to work? Is that what you want to get a job in? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Shout Put out. <laughs> where are you living at the moment? I'm in, uh, in Bath, yeah, in the UK. In, in Bath, okay. So, uh, look, we've got we've got lots of <laughs> listeners actually over there. Uh, so yeah. you can have a silver medalist work for you. <laughs> we see what we can do. <laughs> yeah, anything, so anything in, in the design field, be, be good. Yeah, wow. Use your creative flair. Um, we have, yeah, I, I feel so stoked to be able to have this conversation with you and I love that we've been able to show some of your personality and, and talk about the road that has shown so much resilience, which is ironic being the one word that describes you. But Jack, good luck with the next chapter and we'll all be watching so proudly from afar and um, wearing that green and gold makes us so proud to see you and, and especially that silver medal. So congratulations. Thank you. The the support from home was unbelievable i got home and hearing today from the whole we, we stayed up and so did all of our friends and family i was like what do you mean you guys stayed up like no one stays up to watch me compete this is it's just so yeah cool. they do yeah 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 no it's so deserved and i hope that it feels like all that hard work has paid off because it's um it's very cool what you've done literally cool cold <laughs> I'm going to stop with the lame jokes. I reckon it's been half an hour of my lame jokes and your really cool story. I can't wait to meet you in person until we do. Best of luck with everything and, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. Thank you.